Yes, thank you for your service. For those of you here who are veterans, um, I have one more announcement before we start um, that didn't quite get to me in time to throw it in the video, but I want to tell you guys about this opportunity to support the Restore Network as we often do. So uh, every year in November, we collect gift cards for the Restore Network's Christmas party. These gift cards will be going to the families who have foster children and have been involved with Restore. So it's a huge blessing. We are collecting restaurant gift cards, specifically $25 restaurant gift cards. So our goal is to collect 40 of those. I believe we have blown that number out of the water every year. So let's do that again this year. That would be awesome. Bring those. You can give them to Trisha or Karen. All right, Karen, yes. <laughs> and uh, just please try to get them in before that last uh, Sunday in November. So you've got a few more weeks to bring those in. We are so excited always about an opportunity to support them. It is a great ministry. So we appreciate your generosity. Um, you can stand with me. We are going to worship the Lord this morning in song specifically and in other ways, I hope. <laughs> Let's pray. Um, God, we are so grateful to be here in your house with the opportunity to be in fellowship with our brothers and our sisters, to just focus on you together. Lord, I just ask that you would give us a sense of unity here in this place this morning, that we would fix our eyes on you, and that just with one heart and one voice, we would lift you up. We would worship you as we sing these truths, God. Allow them to penetrate our hearts, not just to be songs that we sing or things that we, just those motions, going through the motions, or just things that we're overly familiar with, God. But let them strike us in a new way this morning, that as we sing them, we would be challenged. We would be pray prayerful, declaring these things by faith that we would be remembering you and these truths that we're declaring about you and your character. God, so I just ask that you would open our hearts, that you would just till the soil of our hearts, if you would. God, so that every word that is coming to us that is rooted in your scriptures, in your word, through the sermon, through the songs, Lord, would take root and would grow. Amen.
this morning from Psalm chapter 100 a very familiar couple of verses here verse 4 and 5 it says enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise give thanks to him and bless his name for the Lord is good his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations Amen. fails will not fail me now you won't fail me now in the waiting the same God who's never late is working all things out you're working all things out oh yes I will lift you high in the lowest valley yes I will Bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will.
of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever bring. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Yeah. 
You know, there's just some days where you're singing those words out of just utter faithfulness. My heart is broken this morning and I just don't have any words. Um, Just for anybody who didn't see the email or is just like, what is going on? Um, Bo and I learned yesterday that a young man who has been faithfully attending our youth group on Sunday nights passed away suddenly in his sleep, and uh, his name is Dominic, and um, Dominic Finney, and um, we're just in shock and just devastated. Um, Just a loss that feels not so distant from one that we recently experienced as a family, as a church family, and it's just hard. And so forgive me, I don't really have um, the composure or the words, and so I just want to say that sometimes you just sing the words and trust that somehow God will carry you through, and He is still good, and He is still faithful, And I trust in him. And I just ask that you would join me in praying for Dominic's family. Uh, His mother's name is Tracy, and his grandmother's name is Karen. And um, I pray that we would be able, we, Bo and I, and maybe even this whole community, would be able to show up for his family and share the love of Christ with them that they really need. Um. And so I just bring that before you with a very broken heart. And um, would you pray with me this morning? Let's pray. God, once again, we are reminded that this life is filled with heartache and death and brokenness and things that we just can't understand or comprehend. And it's in these moments, God, where we just feel tempted to throw our hands up and, and just ask why and how and where are you 
And God, I thank you that you never leave us in those places. That when we cry out for you and when we're looking for you and your goodness, that you never fail to meet us there. And your love and your strength is enough to carry us. And so, God, I thank you for that. I thank you for your faithful, comforting presence. God, this morning I want to lift up the Finney family. And I pray for Dominic's mom, Tracy, and his grandmother, Karen, and all of their family as they try to grieve and and process this loss. God, I know they're searching for answers. I know that they have hard questions and hard days ahead. But God, if I know one thing is that you and your faithfulness will carry them through. And God, I pray that they would find it within them to lean on you during this time. God, I pray that they would experience your love in an an incredible way and that they will take peace and comfort in knowing that Dominic's time here was spent seeking you. And we just thank you for his life and his joy that he brought into the room, into our youth group. We just thank you for the short period of time that we could be a part of his life. God, I pray that this community, that that some of us could have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus for this family. God, I pray that, that you would just use us to minister to them and to show love to them so that they can see you in a number of ways as they go through this time. And God, I want to end this time of prayer with declaring and praising you for your thankfulness. I declare, God, that you are good, you are faithful in the midst of trying times, in the midst of... of the seasons of, of just um, loss and when it's hard to see where there is life and where good things are happening, God, you are there, you are working, you are moving, and you never stop, God. You never stop working and moving, and you are bringing about new life. We declare that in faith. We declare that in, in the trusting uh, name of Jesus who is worthy and who always provides new life where there is death and loss. And so, God, I pray that you would do it again. That you would just remind us, God, of your presence. And your promise. You are faithful. And we trust in you today. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus who draws near 
and weeps with those who weep. We thank you for your comforting presence this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, give me a second to uh, put myself together here. Um, man, there's a lot of special, a lot of special things are happening this morning, and I don't want, um, yeah, it's so interesting, right, how you can hold grief and joy at the same time. It's a really strange feeling, and yet that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of life in Christ, that we can grieve and and just feel like we don't know which way is up, but at the same time, feel joy and and gratitude uh, for those who are in our midst. And that's, I am in between those two extremely strong emotions right now, as I recognize this week's volunteer for volunteer recognition um, each week throughout the month of November. uh, I just want to take a moment to recognize a few faithful people. Uh, This is not all of the faithful people who serve at BFCN, but there are just a few that stand out to me this year that I just want to express and share my gratitude for. And and you guys are just going to have to forgive me as I call you up and call you out, and you don't like that, and I know that. And so uh, I pray that you will forgive me and know that it comes from a place of nothing but love and gratitude. And so uh, today's volunteer recognition is a little different, a little more special. Um, I felt compelled for this week's recognition to go beyond just a volunteer appreciation award, but uh, this week's award is worthy of a distinguished service award. And I want to bring you back to last year where we recognized several people uh, at BFCN who do a lot of behind-the-scenes work. Uh, These are people that, that faithfully serve BFCN all throughout the week, Um, in ways that you don't all necessarily see. In a lot of ways, you do see it, but there are so many things that happen behind the scenes that that you may not know about. And I wanted to recognize one of those individuals this year. I wrote all my thoughts down so I I knew how I was going to be today, and I didn't want to fail to capture anything. So um, I wanted to recognize one of those individuals this year for not, again, just a volunteer recognition award, but... um, a Distinguished Service Award that I actually was able to get through the denomination through Nazarene Missions International, actually, uh, which is really special. And I, I want to recognize this individual for not only years of faithful, and I mean years and years of faithful, faithful service, but this past year was just no exception. Um, gosh, all of the grief. <laughs> But joy. Uh, when Mike passed away in May, we were grieving the loss of a beloved BFCN member, father, husband, son, friend. Um, we were grieving that so much, right? And grieving just an incredible man of God. And it's really hard when you have to shift gears in the midst of that grief and figure out how to fill the hole that Mike filled, or holes, because there were many. And that did not fall on anyone harder than it did for Kathy Dothager, who 
in the midst of, of grieving the loss of her very, very dear friend, had to somehow put that on hold or to the side as she tried to figure out how to do all of the things that Mike did um, as kind of his partner in seeing our finances here at the church. Um, as Mike passed away so suddenly, we just knew that there were going to be so many things we had to figure out on, on this end. And um, I, as much as I can try, I, I need you guys to just trust me when I say that the hours and days that Kathy has put into the church in the midst of Mike's loss is, you cannot capture it. You can't capture it because I'm sure that I don't even know a lot of it because I know she's here when I'm not a lot of times. Um, it's been so hard, friends. It's been so very hard. And again, I, I, I feel this incredible grief as I know that, that Kathy is grieving her friend, her beloved friend and, and kind of partner in the finance department, but then also just having to figure out so many things. And it's been so frustrating at times because uh, we just weren't prepared for this. And so the the phone calls, the hundreds of phone calls that Kathy has had to make uh, to different people to try to figure out what to do and how to kind of be able to do what Mike was doing. Um, the phone calls she's had to make, she's sought help from others here at BFCN and outside of the church from our district who can help her figure out how to do things like payroll and taxes. Oi, those taxes. Like anyone else would have been like, I'm out, I'm done, I can't do it. And here we have Kathy, who months ago, before anything ever happened with Mike, just was already kind of looking for a way to step out of her role at, in finance at BFCN. And so just seeing how she just so graciously gave of herself and her time to do something that most of us would have quit. Like, I'll just be honest, we would have quit. We would not have been able to do it. Kathy, there's just not enough words in my heart to share how much your faithful service is a blessing to me. And not only have you done such an amazing job figuring this out, like you don't take no for an answer. You just figure it out. You do it with such grace. And not once did she ever come into the office and and look angry or frustrated. I mean, you knew she was frustrated, but she handles it all with beautiful grace that is evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in her life. And I am grateful for that, Kathy, because you have been a blessing to me. And I thank you. And so I want to ask you and Doug to come forward, and I want to present to you this award. So this is a Distinguished Service Award uh, given to us through Nazarene Missions International, um, presented to Kathy Do Dothager for your years of faithful service in our church and in grateful appreciation for your dedication, service, and sacrifice over this past year in particular. We are so grateful. We are indebted to you, and I just thank you for being a faithful servant, even in the midst of incredible grief. So we hope that you will receive this reward with nothing but love and gratitude. Such a small token, um, but Kathy's a gift, and um, I hope that you know that.
All right. Wow. Lots to transition. So I am now going to invite um, Jared Bouton to the platform. Jared is, uh, works with the NMI Council on our district. He serves as vice president. You all know Dan Reinhart here is our president of our NMI Council, and Jared works with him as vice president. And Jared uh, graciously accepted to come and share with us today as we're focusing on the month of November for the thanks offering for World Evangelism Fund. And uh, Jared just offered to come and share with us about that. So Jared, please come. Would you give him a warm welcome? And... We're so grateful that you're here today. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Pastor Nicole. And good morning. Good to see you. Good to be here with you. I was trying to think of the last time that I was in your church, and I, I spoke to Rick Parks earlier about that uh, when I walked in the door, and I, I couldn't remember, but I think it's at least 2012. It's been, it's been quite some time. I've had lots of connection to your church. Um, over time when I was growing up, I grew up on the district, uh, and when I was growing up, <clears throat> my church didn't have a youth group, um, and really, the youth group here, I had so many good friends in the youth group here that, uh, man, I just, I almost felt like I was a part of your youth group, um, even though I didn't attend church here and lived three hours away, but um, just thankful for the connections that I've had here. I've been in some of your homes, and Slept in some of your homes over time, and um, I'm just grateful for your example as a church uh, to our district and to this community, and excited to, to be with you this morning. So I, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to end up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can do that. It'll be a minute before we get there. But today we're going to talk a little bit about missions uh, and what it is who it is. Uh, we're going to celebrate the mission of the church. And, and to do that, today we're going to look into what missions has for us in our church at all levels, right? I've served uh, in missions. I went to Olivet Nazarene University. I was planning on being a history teacher. And in my senior year, God just totally changed directions on me. Uh, I graduated and ended up moving to South America, where I served as a missionary for several years with the Church of the Nazarene. And uh, I have found myself in ministry my entire adult life. It's looked a little bit different over different time frames, but uh, it's that there's no cubby there, so that's cool. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I I've been in ministry and it's looked different for me. But missions has always been a part of uh, just uh, who I am and, and the way that that. I connect to the gospel, and, and I think there's something to that because I think that God intends that for each of us. You know, today I think we're going to explore uh, about finding out how God intends for us to be part of his mission. See, as a Christian, I think missions is in our DNA. As a Nazarene, missions is most certainly in our DNA. Whether we know it or not, whether we act like it or not, missions is in our DNA. As we look into that this morning, I, I, I want to talk to you about the, the reason, right, the why we do in life what we do. At a, at a basic level, think about what, what drives us or what or who drives us, right? You know, why do we do the things we do? You know, how, how many of you this morning know the word compel? Have you heard that before in your life? Yeah, probably. Well, I took just in case, 
Okay, I took the liberty of looking it up. So Merriam-Webster has this to say about the word compel. It means these, these definitions. To force someone to do something. To make something happen. To force something. To drive or urge forcefully or irresistibly. To cause, to do, or occur by overwhelming pressure. This is the word compel. See, the word compel is a, it's a strong word. In fact, it's, it's really more of a concept than, than, a, than a word and a, and a heavy concept at that. You know, it really, it's something that often we, we don't even know why we're doing what we're doing and before it, it it's already happening, right? We're, it's, it's somewhat instinctual, right? It's, it's this over, overwhelmingly, irresistibly, undeniably, unavoidable thing that we must do because we're compelled to do it. See, when we're compelled, we don't, we don't have another option. There's a force within us or around us that gives us no choice other than to do what it is we're being compelled to do. In Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, he makes a compelling case for serving Christ. Now, we're going to turn there in just a second. We're going to go to chapter 5 and verse 14. But before we do that, let's talk about the church in Corinth for a minute. See, the church in Corinth has some specific problems that are mentioned. In fact, there's not a lot of New Testament letters that we have that are considered a part of the canon that Paul wrote to a church twice, right? But the Corinthians got at least two letters. The church in Corinth had some specific problems. But see, at its core, it was made up of lost, hurt, broken, and flawed people. I appreciate many times in sermons that I've heard, you know, throughout my life where pastors or preachers will draw parallels between, you know, the church of then and the church of now. The reality is, however, that whether we're talking about the church in Corinth or Rome or Ephesus or Thessalonica or Arabia or a church here in Metro East, the church is made up of people with problems, people who are hurt, lost broken, and flawed. In that, we are the same as these people who Paul wrote the letter to in Corinth. In that alone, see these letters, the word of God this morning is as applicable to us now, just as much as it was to any other group of people at any other period of time since the beginning. See, you might think, well, preacher, you're talking poor about us right now. Well, that's, that's not my intention, really. My intention is to talk about Jesus. But, see, I think it's okay to talk about our flaws because Jesus is Lord and he's already come all of the, he's already overcome all of these flaws, right, and all the negatives in it. He's overcome the world. Let's take a look at this, this scripture again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. It says this, For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all. It's talking about Jesus. And therefore, all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old 
has gone. The new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, Paul says, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Whoa. There's a lot in there. Let's recap. Okay, I've I've put it into bullet points. I know that people learn differently, okay? So if you had a hard time following along, reading it or hearing it, listen to these bullet points. Christ died for everybody. We should no longer live for ourselves, but for him. We should no longer look at people through the eyes of the world. See, a new creation has come. The old is gone. Paul writes in Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, it goes on. We don't count people's sins against them. Get that one. We don't count people's sins against them because we're reconciled to God through Christ. And we are Christ's ambassadors to the world so they may be reconciled also. God makes his appeal to the world through us. Paul says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God so that we might become God's righteousness. A few years back, I was living in Peru and and we were planting churches. Um, We had teams kind of all over the place and and we would go to facilitate these these groups of church planters that were working in in the community. I was a part of a team that would that would uh, basically host short-term mission teams that would come down from all around the world. And uh, we would, I would meet them in Lima, the capital, and we would fly to whatever city we were working in, and we'd make a connection there with the, the local leadership, the, the missionaries that were serving on the ground, the church planters, the pastors. Uh, and we would do ministries that they thought were beneficial for the growth of their church or their new church plant. And so uh, this particular team, uh, we, I, I met in Lima, and we flew to uh, this, a city called Iquitos, Peru. It's in, it's in the middle of the jungle. Uh, in fact, it's the, it's the largest city in the world that's not navigable by road. Okay? You can't get there driving. You have to fly in or you have to boat in on the Amazon. 800,000 people living together in the middle of the jungle. Uh, our team... <laughs> It was hot, by the way. It was sticky, um, and, and we called it, our, our team called it, again, the name of the town was Iquitos. We called it Icky Town, just because everything was, well, icky. And, uh, and, and so, so we're, we're going to Icky Town, and, um, and I, I met a group of about 30 people, and we flew up to, to Iquitos and, and got in a hotel. And this was a group of nurses and doctors and pharmacists and uh, we were doing medical clinics. Uh, we were going out. We had, 
Uh, we were there for 14 days, and we had 14 different sites that we were going to to run a medical clinic each day. And this particular day, uh, how it would work, we would, we would get up. Uh, in the morning, we would have kind of a, a pre-day meeting, uh, and then we would get in our transportation and go to the site, um, execute the medical clinic, come back, sleep, rinse and repeat. Okay, you follow. Um, it was high speed. There was lots going on. Uh, we would see hundreds of people a day, uh, many of which had never seen a doctor before in their lives. And so God was doing incredible things through our medical clinics. But this particular day, uh, we were going to a place that was kind of far out is, is all the direction that I got. It's kind of far out. <laughs> For people who live in the jungle, that means different than what you're thinking, I promise you. But uh, we were headed to a community called San Juan de Dios, number two. I don't, I don't know why it was such a popular name, but I guess there was at least two of them. And so uh, we, we started uh, to gather together all of our things. And, and uh, for some reason, I was appointed that day. Uh, I worked with a Peruvian pastor, <laughs> Elvin, uh, Pastor Elvin, who was a, a dear friend, still is. And uh, he, we would kind of run the, the impact and evangelism side of the things that we were doing together. But Elvin sent me down to the corner uh, to get uh, transportation for us. Um, buses aren't really a thing there. Um, so the main mode of transportation in Icky Town is what's called a moto car. And basically you take a, a dirt bike that has a 50 or maybe 100 cc engine on it. If you know anything about that, that'll mean something to you. If not, it's okay. It's just small. Okay? It's like a weed eater strapped to a bike frame. Okay, uh, but then they'll take the sticker off and they'll put a 500 sticker, a 600 sticker on there. They're not tricking anybody, but I guess it makes them feel good about it. Okay, so they, they take this little dirt bike frame and they'll cut the back end off. And, and then they'll kind of make this little contraption. Usually it's a bench made out of wood. It's got two wheels on either side. And they'll figure out a way to kind of weld that to the back of the bike. Okay, so this is the main mode of transportation. It's, it, you could call it a tricycle, but that would be really generous. Uh, some of them have little canopies on top. Some of them don't. Um, so this is the, the main mode of transportation in town. Okay, so we have to get about 35 people with just suitcases full of everything that we need to run a medical clinic, you know, on all of these moto cars and get to where we're going. So uh, Elvin sends me to the corner, and, and uh, we walked down. We were a couple blocks off the main square in town. I walked down to the corner, and and start to try to flag down some, some moto cars. And um, just for point of reference, I stand about a foot taller and probably 100 to 150 pounds heavier than basically any Peruvian, especially the ones who live in the jungle. They're not very excited to put me on, on one of their little moto cars, you know, with a weed eater engine. So, I mean, they're all just kind of passing me by. And, you know, after a few minutes, uh, Pastor Elvin walks down and, um, he's like, would you like me to do this? And I'm like, yeah, I know you did this on purpose. It's fine, but I'll go back down. So, so anyway, he started waving cars down and he'd point down to the hotel at the end of the block and they'd start coming down. And, uh, many of them, <laughs> I kid you not, many of them would just kind of turn around when they saw all the gringos with all their luggage. Um, she was just waiting there for them, but we got enough to stop finally. And, uh, we got everything loaded up. And so we have, there's about 10, 12 moto cars with people and luggage, and, you know, it's like a cartoon. I mean, seriously, um, if you picture this. 
everything's loaded up and we, and we take off. And so uh, kind of how we generally did this is Pastor Elvin would go in the front, I would go in the back just to make sure um, if somebody got eaten, it was him who got eaten first. And if anybody fell off, I would be there to help them, you know, type of thing. So uh, Iquitos is, uh, again, it's, it's a city in the middle of the jungle. Um, and it, the, the road system is lacking. Okay, we'll say that. Uh, the main square has this nice, nice black top kind of all around it. Uh, there's a five-star five hotel right on, the, right, on one of the, right on the square there, right on one of the sides of the, of the plaza. Uh, but you get about two blocks outside of the square, and that blacktop quickly turns to just kind of um, cobblestone, really, cobblestone. If you remember kind of old brick streets, very similar. Uh, so cobblestone streets. Soon after that, it kind of turns to this gravelly stuff, and soon after that, it turns to dirt. Well, what happens a lot in the jungle is it rains. Um, what happens to dirt when it rains is it turns to mud. Okay, so after about 10 blocks outside of the city center, you're just driving in mud, generally. And so we, 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 this is us, right? The, the, we, we go from the blacktop to the cobblestone, to the gravel, to the dirt, to the mud. And uh, we're, we're just driving. And um, I'm just thinking, like, I, I, again, this place is far out, right? I don't really know where we're going. But um, we're, we're, we're driving out of town for sure. And uh, we finally get to a point where uh, the trees are getting closer on the sides of the roads. And, and then there's a point where they just kind of engulf the entirety of the road. The road has come to an end. Um, I know you've probably heard that expression, the end of the road. I didn't know it was a real place, but it's right outside San Juan de Dios number two. So we, we get there, and the motor cars are turning around, and everybody's kind of getting off. And the first car waited for all the other cars to get there before we began our trek to the village. And um, I just remember thinking, as all these motor cars are driving away, how, how, how are we going to wave down these motor cars out here to get back? But that's a story for a different time. Uh, so we, we all get there, and, and finally, you know, there's a couple, you can see, very clear paths uh, that are in, you know, to the jungle, right, from, from the road. And um, I'm like, Elvin, what are we doing, man? And he's like, well, it's just over here. <laughs> okay, just over here, all right. So uh, now, all right, let's pause for a second. Um, when I was growing up, we learned about the jungle in elementary school. You know, we learned about how, uh, this, this is what I remember as a kid, right? The jungle was crazy, right? Everything in the jungle uh, there's big animals in the jungle, and they would eat you, right? And even the plants, some of the plants would try to eat you, right? You, you remember learning that? Is that crazy? Am I crazy? I mean, no. Well, all that's true, okay? The jungle is crazy, okay? The jungle is crazy. And so um, we, we, we're walking through the jungle, and um, again, I'm the last one, so of course, I'm the one that gets picked off first if something happens, right? But uh, to... Uh, you know, obviously I'm making light of some of this, but um, we, we, we kind of got uh, to this point, I remember distinctly, where we, we went down into this ravine and kind of came up the other side. We're just on this little dirt path, and everybody's carrying suitcases of medicines and all this stuff. And just remember, like, we looked like standing at the top of the hill, and people had gone down to the ravine and up to the other side. We just kind of looked like an army of ants, you know, as we're going out to this, this place. So we finally get there, 
Uh, we walked about two miles, and we finally get there. And uh, there's this little brick building, cinder block building, uh, in the middle of this village uh, that had been built to be used as a church of the Nazarene. And uh, around it, uh, it had been, uh, around it, the, the, the village itself was just huts made of, of river reeds and bamboo, uh, thatch roofs. Um, a lot of them were uh, the outside of the wall of one, uh, it, it kind of think of like row houses. Uh, it was just like big, long, uh, the, you know, where the outside of one was the outside of another, right? They shared, shared walls, big, long structures in this village. There were about 1,000 people that lived in this village out in the middle of nowhere. And um, we saw some incredible things happen that day. Again, uh, we saw hundreds of people uh, in that particular spot. None of them had ever seen a doctor before. And, uh, and we were able to, to help them with their physical needs. Uh, and also, while we were there, uh, we were introducing Jesus to them as they were waiting in line and, and uh, asked questions like, why are you here? What are you doing this for? You know, things like this. And uh, saw several people accept Christ that day as well. Um, that church had been built by Alabaster Funds a few years previous. And um, there was, they had leadership in mind to go and, and begin ministry there, to live there, and that had fallen apart. So there was a building there with the Church of the Nazarene name on it that had been not, not been used for ministry at all, really, until that day. And so uh, it was a really cool beginning uh, to, to what was happening there. So we, we, we were there throughout the day, and we, we did the medical clinic, and, um, you know, it was, it was each, each day that we did medical clinics. There's something about meeting needs of people that get them to open up to hear what you have to say. Meeting their physical needs, meeting their mental or emotional needs. Um, they're willing to listen to you about their spiritual capacity as well. And um, that's actually the approach Jesus used lots of times uh, in, in Scripture to meet the needs of people. Um, but that day, uh, we had finished our medical clinic, and we were kind of cleaning up. And um, I was, again, the last one, right? So I'm kind of doing a, a once, twice over of everything, just make sure we grabbed everything. I had one thing to grab myself, and then we were out the door. And uh, kind of finished my look around. Um, and as I was doing that, there was three windows in the side of the church building, and the door in the back. And um, as I was kind of walking through the church for the last time, I saw something flash by one of the windows. I thought, oh, you know, we're in the jungle, remember? And so my mind's going crazy. I saw it flash by the second window, and, um, you know, it just got scarier, right? Flash by the third window, and I realized it was just a human being, and we were okay. And uh, so I'm, 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 I'm clearly seeing, I, I, I start to hear somebody that's, that's yelling, and, and so I, I, I clearly see they're coming to the back of the church, so I kind of make my way to the, the back door, and, and around the corner comes this, this older woman that um, she, she'd, she'd clearly been running for a while. She stopped right at the door, and we are, you know, just a few feet apart, and she's panting, <sighs> and I'm just like, waiting, like you ran here to say something, right? And, um, you know, I'm kind of getting closer and listening, and she says, fuego! I'm like, oh, well, thank you for yelling right in my face. 
but fire. Okay, fire. That means fire. Okay, there's a fire. And she starts jumping up and down. Fuego, fuego, pointing off into the distance. There was a well right outside the door of the church that had been dug as well as part of the uh, building the church and the property there. And the last thing that I had to carry was a big stack of buckets. Okay, talk about God's provision. So I yelled out to the, the, the crew that was kind of already, you know, the army of ants carrying all the stuff. They had slightly less things, medicines and bandages and things like that that they were taking. But we had all the suitcases and all the supplies and everything. And everybody had kind of started back toward the road. And I yelled out to, to, to some of the guys and, and a few of the, the people who we served with, some of the, the missionaries, um, uh, some of the Peruvians as well as other missionaries had kind of turned around and they had ran. And, and I turned around and I grabbed the buckets and I came outside and I started pumping water. And this, this, this older woman is just standing there jumping up and down, fuego, 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 fuego. So I'm just pumping water, pumping water, getting a bucket, filling it up. And just as I'm doing that, Scott takes a bucket and runs away. Andrew takes a bucket and runs away. Uh, Abel takes a bucket and runs away. Mike takes a bucket and runs away. And uh, finally get down to the end of all the buckets, and I'm pumping, and there's two buckets left. And, and so I finish pumping the water. The lady's still jumping up and down, pointing to where the fire is. And I grab the buckets of water, and I, and I just take off, right? I, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's going on. I think there's a fire because this lady says there's a fire. But, like, I, I want to help, right? And so I get to the edge of the, 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 the corner of the church, and I turn the corner, and um, I see this tiniest trail of smoke so far away. It's so far away. I'm not a runner. I, you, you can look at me and probably tell that's the case. But like, I, I generally only run when I'm being chased or I'm chasing someone. And neither of those things happen very often, I, I tell you that. Like, I know, like, I have water. There's a fire. Like, you know, those things counter one another and I want to help. So I, I see, uh, you know, the, the other, my other friends running ahead with their buckets and and uh, we're running toward this, this, um, this smoke. And so we're running, and as we're running along, uh, there's kind of a main path through the, through the village, and there's two different sides uh, to the path. In the middle is a ditch, and the ditch was the, the village sewer system. Uh, everybody came and dumped their waste in there. It was kind of downhill, so it kind of all ran one direction. Well, as I'm running, carrying these buckets of water, um, I am acknowledging that I'm on this side. The fire is, you know, kind of down there on that side. So at some point, I need to get across. What I'm noticing is the ditch is getting wider as I'm running. So I know that I need to cross soon. Otherwise, I'm going to have an unpleasant crossing, right? So I, I start to see up ahead that there's a log. It's kind of been jammed into the, the mud. It, it connects on one side. It's kind of created this little bridge. And again... Not a lot of experience with running, right? By the time my brain computes to my feet that I need to, like, get on this little bridge and get across to the other side, like, I've already ran past it, you know? Like, I mean, I'm just so experienced at running. This is, this is my story. So I, I see another, another spot, and it's even wider up there, and there's another log. It's been jammed in uh, to either side, creating this bridge, and, and I know I have to get from the side that I'm on to the other side to get to the fire that's up there. And so I finally get to the point I'm carrying two buckets of water. I'm already exhausted. I'm about halfway there. And I, I, I take this, you know, this front foot, and, and, I, and I remember everything's mud. Mud's kind of slippery, isn't it? Anyway, I take this front foot, and I put it right there on that log. And, man, it plants great. I'm feeling real good about this. And I take the other foot, and I, and I put it on the log, and, and it plants solid again. 
I have about two more steps to get across. And um, I, I, you know, moved the front foot and got over, and, and then I got over to the other side. Now, I, I see some of your faces wanting me to fall in that. Shame on you. <laughs> I made it to the other side just fine, okay? So I have these buckets of water, right? And I, and, I, and I finally get to the spot where it's just up a little hill to where the water is and, or where the smoke is. And I see the flames just bursting out of one of these row homes. It's one of the ones on the end. And apparently there was a fire somehow that it got it started in, in, in the home. Most of these homes are just one big room. And again, the outside wall to this one is the outside wall to this one, right? Or they're sharing an interior wall, if you want to look at it that way. The roof is the same all the way across. There's about 12, 10 to 12 units or so, if you want to, if you want to state it like that, um, which in each one of the homes was a big extended family that would live there. So 10 to 20 people in each one of these spots. So we're talking like what's on fire right now is like housing for like 100, 120 people. And it's the one in the end, and I'm thankful for that, right? Well, we, we, get up the, we get up the hill, and everybody else said, you know, they had ran first, and uh, so they were already there, and, and um, <clears throat> I run up, and I'm holding buckets. Now, think about this. What happens when you run with a bucket of water? It all splashes out, yeah. So here's this big old bald gringo showing up to a fire holding buckets with no water, right? There was a little bit of water in there. Uh, but what there was in the backyard was this little, um, it's called a reservoir. And uh, there was some stuff floating in it, like, um, what's the best way to put this? It was kind of a holding tank for the, these villagers to use before they would take it down to the ditch in the middle. Okay, does that make sense to you? Okay. It's the only wet thing that we had. I remember standing there thinking, like, looking at, you know, the people who are living in this house, and one of them starts pointing at it. <laughs> okay. So, I, you know, just through, there's lots of eye contact, lots of conversations with eyes that are happening with all of us right now. And uh, finally, Scott, one of our missionary, uh, looks at the, the guy who was clearly the most upset about the fire, probably his house. Uh, and they have this quick conversation, and Scott's like, do it. So we start dipping the buckets into this stuff to throw in this house to put this fire out. We got to a point where, uh, you know, again, these houses are made of, of reeds or, or bamboo with thatch roofs. The fire was spreading pretty quickly. Um, and again, we're talking for housing of 100, 150 people, 120 people, um, and so we, we wanted to get the fire out. Everybody <laughs> wanted to get the fire out. So there were some, there were some people in the, in the village that were coming over, and they were helping us too, and, and, and we, were, we were dipping uh, our buckets into this stuff and, and, and putting out the fire. And I, I remember one time distinctly that, you know, everything was happening so fast. It was so crazy. I remember one time distinctly I, I ran into the house, and I, I just, you know, again, they're all just kind of this one big room. And the, the doorway was on fire, and the walls were on fire, and the roof was on fire. And I had been running back and forth from that little air uh, where the water was uh, to, to the doorway where Scott was. And Scott was 
throwing water onto the house. But when I got to the doorway, Scott wasn't there anymore. And I heard his voice from inside. So I just ran inside. And Scott had like <laughs> thrown some stuff together and was like standing on this little table. Uh, let's call it a table. Uh, standing on this little, this little thing propped up in the middle of the thing. And I hand him the bucket and he was throwing it on top of the, uh, right, right onto the ceiling, onto the roof, uh, to try to get the fire out that was on the roof. See, when I heard that lady screaming about the fire, I was compelled to act. You know, I, we, we ended up getting the fire out. And um, to shorten the rest of the story for you, just because you'll probably ask me afterwards if I don't tell you this, we got the fire out. It only burnt up part of the roof and, and all the walls of that one uh, unit on the end. And uh, since then, man, the Church of the Nazarene has had a strong foothold in San Juan de Dios number two. Um, God is using that building there in the middle of the jungle um, and that well to service people and meet their needs. Um, and not just their physical, emotional, and mental needs, but their spiritual needs as well. And um, the church is doing well there in that space. You know, I, I, when I saw that lady jumping up and down, right, when I heard her screaming about a fire, I didn't know what the fire was, I didn't know where it was, but I was compelled to act. The other guys who were, were in our crew that you know, were grabbing buckets of water and turning the corner and not knowing where they were going, they were compelled to act. Scott was compelled to be a firefighter while he stood in a house and it was literally burning down around him. I was compelled to run into that same house over and over again to bring water to Scott so he could throw directly to the base of the flames. See, I don't even know if I thought about the, what I was doing. I don't even know if I, if I took the time to think about the danger that I was in. I was just simply compelled to action. See, Christ's love compelled us to act that day. What's Christ's love compelling you to do? If you said nothing, then you don't fully understand it yet. You see, just like it was for the church in Corinth, when Paul wrote this letter. And now here where you live today, the world is burning down around you. Just like that thatch hut in the jungle. So what is God compelling you to do about it? As empowered by that scripture we read earlier, I come to you as an ambassador of God in the name of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Be reconciled to God. And if you are, do what Christ is compelling you to do. Be reconciled to God so that others may find that same reconciliation. See, we are reconciled, we are saved so that others may be saved, so that others may be reconciled. This should be what Christ's love is compelling you to do. Pastor Don Sutton says this about this passage. God makes the case for us through Paul for serving Christ. Such service begins with Christ's love for us. It flows out of our love for Christ. It's empowered by God's spirit. It's guided by God's law. And it shows itself in love for others. It expresses itself in worship, 
and service to God. I submit that it compels us to worship and serve God in every way that he's calling us. See, if we've accepted Christ, if we claim Jesus, the scripture tells us today that we're new creations in him. Our DNA has been rewritten, and it reflects that we're now a part of the family of God. Earlier, I said that we would look at how God intends to use us in his mission. I hope you now see that God chooses us to be the mission. See, God is about his people, and God is about his mission. Sharing spiritual DNA with God the Father and Christ the Son means that we too are about mission. I'll repeat what I said earlier. God chooses us to be the mission. So how will you respond this morning? The first way we can respond is by living a godly life, a sanctified life, to the glory and honor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, we are to give, we are called to give our all, our whole being, and give it again and again every day. The second way that we can respond is to use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to you, whether that's teaching or preaching or craftsmanship, discernment, prophecy, giving, leading, healing, administration. There's several that are listed in Scripture, but there's many more skills and trainings that we receive throughout our life that we can also use. We're blessed with spiritual gifts for a reason. We're blessed with experience in life for a reason. And we are to use them for the glory of God and the expansion of his kingdom. The third way we can respond is by praying for the world and your fellow Christians around the world. What are the issues in the world that are breaking your heart? Are you talking about them over coffee? Or are you really praying for not only those who are experiencing the suffering, but also those who are causing it? What comes to mind right now is this situation in Israel with Hamas and the Gaza Strip. That should break your heart. The fourth way we can respond is by giving offerings proportionate to what God has entrusted to you. See, God expects this of us. And he expects us to do it. And, and not only to do it, but to do it sacrificially. If you can't remember a time that you gave and you had to give something else up to be, to, to be in a place where you could give, then I, I would challenge you to re-examine a few things, to give sacrificially. See, God is changing hearts and lives around the world. I've, I've seen this firsthand in the mission field using the funds that have, that have come in, whether it was that, that church uh, that was built with alabaster funds through the alabaster offering, or... Uh, some of the ministry uh, that, that we did in Peru was funded through the World Evangelism Fund, through the Church of the Nazarene. Um, the World Evangelism Fund, or WEF, as we call it sometimes, is it, when we give to the thank offering in November, this goes to WEF. This goes to missions. I've experienced that, that money, those funds that's been given for missions, funding the very ministry that I was a part of in South America. It changes lives. It changes places like San Juan de Dios number two.
We should be giving to God through our local church. We should be tithing 10% of our income as well as giving other funds as offerings. And on top of that, we should be giving to God to support his global church. The thank offering is a big way, a very obvious way that you could do that. The last way that you could respond is by supporting missions around the world, not just through giving, but through giving, going, and praying, or some combination of the three. I submit to you that it's probably some combination of the three. The praise band is going to come back up and we're going to move to closing, but would you stand with me as we kind of reflect on some closing thoughts? I hope that God has given you a vision today. I hope that you see that God is calling you to be a part of his mission. he's, He's calling you to be a part of his mission. So what are you going to do about it? It's my prayer that that God has challenged you today, right? That we remember that the old is gone and the new has come. See, you as a Christian have been adopted into the royal family and even now share some of the same DNA with the king. So you are an ambassador to this world. So be reconciled to God and facilitate reconciliation to God for others in your life. We can change the world by allowing God to use us to change one heart, one life at a time. That starts with us, and then another, and then another, and then another. John Piper has a quote that I love, and it's, it's truly impacted my life over the last few years. It keeps coming up over and over. I keep seeing it. I keep, I'm continually being challenged by it. I've had somebody tell me that I should never quote John Piper in a Nazarene church, but watch me. It says this. There are three types of Christians when it comes to world missions. Zealous goers, zealous senders, and disobedient. What kind of Christian are you today? Amen. Thank you, Jared. That was wonderful. I love how you said... We are called to give our all. It's too perfect that we're singing this song to close, I Surrender All. You can receive that as not from me, but from the Holy Spirit, because I didn't know what his message was going to be this morning. So I just invite you as we sing these words to just be open to the Holy Spirit. Maybe he will bring something to your mind as we sing, I surrender all, all to Jesus. I surrender Sometimes when we use all-encompassing language, it can just become vague for us. But just have your heart open and the Holy Spirit to bring something to your mind. Maybe there's something that he wants you to surrender this morning. Maybe he wants you to give till it hurts a little bit. Um, I can't tell you what that is. You just have to remain open. Um, As we come, I just want to pray. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to reflect on this message that you've brought to us. Lord, I ask that you would help us to hear your Holy Spirit specifically for each individual, the way that you are speaking to us through this word, God, how you want us to respond. That it's not a word that would just get logged away and forgotten about, but Lord, this morning I believe 
that there's truth there for us. There's something that you want us to learn, something that you want us to do. So God, I just ask that your spirit would make that very clear. That you would help us to sing these words as difficult as it is with authenticity. That you would give us the strength to surrender all to you this morning. That whatever it is that we're holding back, God, that you would shine light on that thing. That you would help us in our weakness, in our frailty, in our humanity to just let go and to trust you this morning. Amen. Let's sing this together.
Jared for sharing that compelling story um, that really was impactful and I appreciate you being here today. Um, I do want to encourage you all. I hope you were maybe challenged to to give in some way to the World Evangelism Fund that in case you didn't catch that, uh, it does fund the very work that Jared was sharing with us today. And so um, we support that work here in this church. And there are a number of ways you can give. If you wanted to drop that here in the offering plate on your way out, you can make a note in, on your giving that it's for World Evangelism Fund or WEF. You can also give online at nazarene.org slash generosity, um, and that goes straight to the World Evangelism Fund. So however you are compelled to give or serve, I pray that you would be obedient. And so friends, now I pray that you would go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May he be your peace and your strength, and may you this morning be compelled to go and be his ambassadors. You have been called and sent. So go only in his strength. Have a wonderful day.